Welcome, adventurers. If you have not yet listened to episode 16, please do so now. For the rest, the city of Feld's Crossing faces an imminent siege, and not all trapped within the city's walls are residents. In fact, some unfortunate passer-throughs have urgent business elsewhere. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon The city was a bustle of activity, the streets crowded with people and soldiers as they rushed with purpose to redistribute supplies, find cover, or secure their possessions. Sarkeesian stood against the wall, the flow of foot traffic passing ever by. She rubbed her temples, trying to relieve the pounding headache that persisted from a lack of sleep. She could barely believe how bad their luck was. After two years of pulling at threads, following false leads, and dispatching lackeys, they were this close to finally ending the Emerald Scarab, only to be trapped in a city under siege. And they had just three days passed, paid an awful price. Gorion certainly had an odd sense of humor. Grasping the amulet from the neck of her shirt, she held it in both hands, staring at the simple depiction of the golden sun. As she squeezed it tight, she closed her eyes, and sent out a prayer in her mind. Gorion, please guide us. Do not let us fail in this late hour. A great evil is near its end. Shed your light on me, great sir, that I might be your strength in this mortal realm and protect the innocent. As her prayer trailed off, her eyes remained closed. A single tear of exhausted frustration escaped, and then she started as something touched her hand. Her eyes snapped open to see a small brown hand, covering her own much larger ones. Standing before her was a small figure, hood drawn up. Beneath the hood she could see rich brown eyes with flecks of copper, and a face drawn into a determined smile. The figure spoke. Colfin thinks he found someone with the information we need. Come, follow me. The small hand gave Sarkeesians a squeeze and then turned to join into the flow of people. Sarkeesian quickly took the amulet and stuffed it back into her shirt. As she stepped to follow, she looked toward the sky and soul as it set, and whispered under her breath, My thanks to you, bright one. Soul had passed behind the bristleback mountains to the west. Daylight was quickly fading into the gloaming hour. Elisheva stood once again atop the west tower of the southern gate, her sergeants arrayed behind her. From the south came the most unsettling noise. It is odd to think that the sound of one person's footfalls may elicit many different feelings, from the joy of someone's arrival to the sorrow of one's departure. The sound of tens of thousands of footfalls, however, brought a chilling fear. The sound was that of an avalanche in slow motion. Eerier still was its slow and constant rise. At first it was barely audible over the constant drone of the city. Now, 
It was all that could be heard. A terrible white noise that drowned all else out. Individual units were now visible, and it was clear that the hobgoblins, at a half mile or so from the city wall, had divided their forces into four separate divisions, one for each side of the city. All things considered, this brought Elisheva some comfort. It would be a siege and not a direct assault, at least not to begin with. When the four divisions were a little over a thousand feet from the city, they split, two left, one right, with one still coming straight on. Elisheva turned to her sergeants. It is to be a siege. Quickly now, staff the walls on all sides equally. The reserves are to be divided and take up positions in the streets behind each of the four gates. The volunteer militia is to gather in the town square and await orders for deployment as necessary. Go to your gates now. I will be at the east gate. I want updates on the hobgoblins' movements and deployment every bell. Heads high, back straight, and make Orion give us strength. Dismissed. The sergeants broke ranks and started down the stairs. Elisheva called out to Veshna, last to descend, as she already had taken four steps down, head just above the tower's floor. Sergeant Veshna. Veshna stopped and looked back. Her face was white from nerves, but there was steel in her eyes. Yes, Captain? Her reply was strong and calm, her voice unwavering. Elisheva gave a rare smile. That is all, Sergeant. Carry on. Veshna paused a moment, the color returning to her face, her lips drawing into a thin line of determination. Yes, Captain. The common room of Drummond's House of Stools was packed, with barely enough room to move between tables. People drank where they stood, waiting for seats that would not come any time soon. Tensions were high, and each dealt with it in their own way. Some guzzled beer and wine as if dying from thirst. Others poked at uneaten food and nursed one mug of ale for an hour or more. Many laughed uproariously and talked over loud. A few tables had groups that barely spoke at all. Above all hung an air of unease and uncertainty of what was to come. Would this pass with time? Or were they drinking and eating for the last few times before the end would come? Sarkeesian and Colfin were seated at a small round table with a red-nosed and glowering old man. The rest of the party was jammed close against their backs, heads pushing in in an attempt to hear over the cacophony of noise. Sarkeesian was asking, Please, father, is there anything else you can tell us about this place? Anything at all? The old man took a big swig from his glass of mead, the second of which Colfin had purchased for him. I ain't your father, you no bitten giant. I thought I was just having a friendly chat with your dwarf friend here. Now all of a sudden I'm being interrogated by the oddest group of miscreants I've seen in a hundred passings of Arjun at her fullest. I told you every last bit of what I know of the old cave to the north. And as I said, it was my friend, Narn, that told me it once housed a group of druids. I'd tell ye all to go ask him, but you'd have to dig him up in the old churchyard, and I don't think that'd be proper. He gulped down the last of his mead and stared back, fidgeting with his hands. 
Now, if you ain't going to buy me another mate, be on your way and let me contemplate the irony of living eighty-nine years only to die at the hands of a murdering army of hobgoblins. Five heads staring at me with nine eyeballs makes for nervous thinking. Sarkeesian opened her mouth as if to continue, but Colfin put a hand on her shoulder as he stood. He reached into his pouch and tossed the old man a gold coin, the man's eyes widening. Sarkeesian looked over to Colfin, who jerked his head toward the exit. The party wriggled and shoved their way back out of the tavern. Stepping out onto the now dark and mostly empty street, they paused, heads looking to Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian looked up and down the street before gesturing to an alley just down from Drummond's. After making their way just past the mouth of the alley, Sarkeesian turned, and the party formed a loose huddle. Before anyone even spoke, Colfin stuck his hand into a worn leather bag slung over his shoulder. Despite the bag's size, he pulled a full-size shovel from it, spinning it in his hand to place the handle on the ground, and turned to look expectantly at Sarkeesian. Mela, who stood across the circle from Colfin, drew down her hood, looked to him, and then to Sarkeesian. We're going to dig up old Narn, aren't we? Sarkeesian took a moment to look at each of them, hung her head and shook it in disbelief for a moment, looked up into the night sky, and said, Go, Ryan, you truly test my patience, before looking back into the circle. I don't see that we have a choice. We are running out of time and have to be certain that the old man's information is correct. This may be the only chance we ever get to end the Emerald Scarab. Sarkeesian looked across the circle to where a halfling with a wild mop of flaming red hair stood fiddling with a ring on her left hand. Rianok, what say you? The halfling twitched a nervous smile and muttered something under her breath. Sarkeesian sighed. Rianok. Yeah, great. She said, eyes darting to Mela, then Sarkeesian, then over her shoulder back into the street. Let's have a little chat with the dead. Tram's ear rubbed his hands together against the night's chill. It was four bells past when Sol had set, and bloody cold. As he strolled down the darkened streets, the soft footfalls of his unit following behind, he pondered his fate. Despite the night's cold, Tramzir could not believe his luck. He had dodged a goddamn ballista bolt as far as he was concerned. He would take leading the night patrol over leading the whole northern gate contingent any day. And to think he was relieved of command just hours before the siege. It was Garion's own miracle as far as he was concerned. Enforcing curfew was child's play compared to all the damn reports to be made and orders he would have been giving if he had still had the watch at the north gate. Good riddance. Poor Veshna was welcome to it. As his unit came to a cross street, they paused. Tramzir looked down all the streets. All was quiet. The fear of the oncoming siege had everyone tucked away well before the curfew bell rang. Two bells passed. Tramzir pulled a flask from under his cloak and took a swig. Turning to his squad, he hoisted the flask and then gestured with his finger in their direction, saying quietly, For warmth. The flask was passed around. Four drank, and two abstained. When the flask was stoppered and tucked back under his cloak, 
he picked a direction at random. They turned right and headed down the street that would take them past the old church. As they made their way down the street, Tramzir turned his head lazily left and right. Occasionally, he would walk to a business store and make a show of checking to see if it was locked. He would always nod confidently to a squad after doing this, as if to impart the importance of their work to them, though they knew as well as him that given the circumstances, this was a mere formality, who in their right mind would be out at night after curfew with a siege at hand. The unit had strolled a few hundred paces down the street when for a period of a few beats, Tramsir was confused as he heard hushed voices from ahead. His first thought was that some in his unit were whispering, and the whispers were echoing off the walls in an odd way in the cold night air. He held his hand up to signal a halt. The unit shuffled to a stop. All was quiet for a moment, and then the voices could be heard from ahead again. They were coming from the churchyard. Tramseer signaled for the unit to move quietly and to follow him. They crept to the fence that separated the yard from the street, a half-stone wall with a barbed wrought-iron fence on top. The rickety iron gate stood ajar. About halfway between the street and the church, a cloaked group of figures huddled amongst the gravestones. The barely visible light of a hooded lantern could be seen peeking out from between their forms. What in cinder was this nonsense? This was the last thing Tramsir needed. He slowly drew his sword and gestured to his unit to follow him through the gate. The guard leveled their spears and followed him in. When they were but two rows of headstones away and Tramsir could just make out the voices ahead, he signaled for the unit to spread out. A small female voice from a figure apparently shielded by those surrounding it was asking, And the name of the druidic order was? A chill shot down Tramsir's spine as a frightening hollow voice breathed as much as spoke in response. Tremsir had had enough. All right, hands up. No quick moves. The party started, obviously surprised. His guard also jumped, as they did, stepping closer, leveling spears. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not do anything stupid, Tramsir said. As he did, the group before him slowed and then turned his way. A tall woman with dark skin and plate armor towered over a much shorter woman with brown skin and thick brown braids that stood next to her. Next to the shorter woman was a dwarf holding a shovel, a brown beard braided and forked. At the end of the line was a woman taller than the first, covered in scars and wearing an eye patch over one eye. The hint of tusks protruded from her lower lips, and her head was completely shaved. Tramsir could see movement behind their legs. He gestured with his sword. Oi, step aside then so I can see. The group hesitated, but the one in plate armor nodded, and they stepped aside. Tramsir could barely believe what he saw. A fresh mound of dirt lay beside an exhumed coffin, the lid pried open. A halfling with wild red hair knelt next to the coffin, hands held high, a nervous smile twitched on her face as she said, We were just having a chat. The tall woman in plate slowly closed her eyes and shook her head. Take their weapons, Tramsir said to his guard, and then looked at them in disbelief. Grave robbing during a siege? Are you serious? A sick bunch you are. 
You all can spend the rest of the siege in the stockade. The dark woman's eyes popped open. The North Gate. If there is a stockade there, please take us to the North Gate. There was barely enough room for them all to fit in the small office. Veshna made a good show of being unfazed, but had to have Tramsir repeat his report twice, as she was certain she had misheard him the first time. She stood, looking at each of the prisoners in turn, before saying, Well, do you have anything to say for yourselves? The dark woman in plate armor spoke. The story is too long to tell, and if I told you, you may not believe me. We have been tracking a creature of great evil for nearly two years. If our road ends here with us in the stockade, many, many people will suffer a fate worse than death. I know your city is in peril. You have no reason to trust me, but the creature we seek is an even larger threat than the army outside your walls. All I can do is throw myself on your mercy. Put us outside the wall. In the stockade, we are just five mouths you cannot afford to feed. Outside the wall, we will trouble you no more. If I put you outside the wall, you will be killed, Veshna replied. That is of our own choosing, but I assure you, I have not dedicated the last two years of my life to destroying this evil only to die tonight. Put us outside the wall. Let Gorion decide our fate. Veshna stared into the woman's eyes. If she was lying, she hid it well. But Veshna didn't think so. She could see the near panic the woman had at the thought of being jailed. Feshna turned to Tramzir. Corporal, return these people their weapons. I will head to the top of the tower to check the disposition of the Hobgoblin army myself. If I whistle one sharp whistle, the gate is to be cracked no wider than need be for these five to squeeze out, and then shut immediately. Tramzir stared in disbelief. But, Sergeant, the captain... The captain is not here, Corporal, and if she was, I have little doubt she would do the same. Now follow my orders. Tramsir stood at attention. Yes, Sergeant. The relief of the prisoners was readily visible. Veshna got the impression that if these five wanted to get out of the gate, odd as they seemed to be, they could have, and that the guard at the north gate would have lost some number of soldiers in that leaving. Veshna gathered her sword and nodded to the dark-skinned woman. Good luck. And if either of us live, maybe you will tell me that story someday. Sarkeesian nodded in return. Gorion, bless you. I would like that very much. Veshna stood atop the east tower above the north gate. Campfires burned some five hundred feet from the wall in the hobgoblin camps. She looked long and hard but saw no motion in the space between the wall and the army. She lifted a hand and whistled one sharp note. Twelve beats passed, and then, as quiet as owls, five small shapes could be seen for the briefest of moments, moving northward into the night. Will Sarkeesian and her company make it past the Hobgoblin camp? And what is their urgent business to the North? All these questions and more will be answered in tales to come. Stay tuned next week for the beginning of a new tale. Unexpected House Guests. Mm -hmm.
And there you go. That's the beginning of a whole brand new season of stories. And you're still here listening. I, I can't say thank you enough. Uh, hope you liked the beginning of season two. Uh, buckle your seatbelt. Plenty more to come. Hopefully you've listened to season one. If not, run back and do that. If not, listen wherever you want. I'll take anything I can get. I really appreciate the time and effort and energy uh, you have spent uh, listening and supporting. And if you want to get the word out, Tell a friend, tell somebody that might like these stories would be an amazing help to me. Uh, leave a review. Anything you can do, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it and how much it really helps this show grow. So thanks for listening, and I hope you'll keep it up.